You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lots of anticipation about uh, the uh, vital signs report. Uh, this is uh, something that uh, the Hamilton Community Foundation has been sponsoring for a number of years now. And uh, especially in light of the pandemic and lockdowns, etc., we were very interested to see just what kind of uh, statistics and what kind of an impact uh, the pandemic and uh, the virus has had on this community. Uh, joining us to talk about the report is uh, Terry Cook. Terry, of course, is the president and CEO of the Hamilton Community Foundation. Uh, Mr. Cook, sir, good to have you back in the program. Hope you're doing well these days. Mr. Cook, that sounds way too formal for me, Bill, <laughs> given that we were former Hamilton City Council colleagues several lifetimes ago. Nice to, yes. nice to be with you. I'm a recovering politician, as you are, so so we we'll <laughs> do this on a daily basis, I guess. Uh, Terry, it's, 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 it's way in the rearview mirror. And, yeah, well, uh, way back, yeah. I've, I've, I've erased it from my memory bank. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Makes life a lot easier that way. Uh, let's let's talk about the report here. I mean, we've talked about the impact that, that COVID and the pandemic has had uh, on the greater community, but uh, I, I guess there's a lot to unpack here, Terry, but I guess maybe the first uh, takeaway from this is the uh, this pandemic and the resulting uh, problems that it has caused have had a disproportionate effect on low incomes and people with uh, with social and, and financial challenges to begin with. For sure, um, and let me let me start, Bill, by a couple of quick acknowledgments. I want to thank the folks at the Spec. Steve Bust has done a fabulous job with a feature piece this morning that introduces vital signs. Folks at Cable 14 as well, as well as what you do in terms of helping us to engage the community. I also want to acknowledge that we have a very strong research team led by Grace Diffie in my shop and Dr. Leela Ryan, who work with subject experts to make sure that the methodology and the data is sound. And here's what we found in a nutshell. Um, in the early days of this pandemic, there was lots of talk about this being the great equalizer because people that had traveled tended to bring the infection back and they were across socioeconomic lines. Uh, but as the as the pandemic has unfolded, what's increasingly clear is that people living in multi-generational households, people who are precariously housed, people who are working in frontline services, everything from meatpacking plants to driving buses to working in the grocery store, uh, are are much more vulnerable. And they emerge both more vulnerable to the infection, uh, because infection rates are higher by lower-income people and people working in blue-collar jobs, uh, but they also have suffered economically disproportionately. And, and the sad reality is that many of us who have secure jobs where we've been able to work remotely, where we own our own home, we've seen the escalation in, in values of home assets, will emerge from this in some ways stronger economically. But for a large portion of this community, the picture is very different and much more dismal. The health aspect is one. The the economic impact on this has is, is just been devastating, I guess, and brutal for an awful lot of people. And, and, yeah. and, and But, Terry, sometimes the numbers don't tell the true story. Because I, I know, for instance, one of the overviews here, uh, they talk about income for some low-income folks actually went up. Well, that's that's an aberration because that's really just because of the government support programs that many of them qualified for. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a false positive, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, what's what's interesting is the 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 CERB relief that went out to many people working in essential services and to some lower income members of our community in many ways mirrored the basic income experiment that the province of Ontario canceled. Right, in that yeah. it said that everybody should at least have enough so that they can put food on the table and have decent housing. Uh, the problem with that is, of course, that it evaporates uh, as, as the pandemic ends and we get into recovery. So 
were it a ongoing support to that part of the community economically, it absolutely would provide material and long-term improvements and benefits. But that, in fact, is not the case. And again, when you look at the data, the folks that emerge from this thing in a weaker economic position tend to be people at the lower end of the spectrum who are in precarious work, who tend not to have paid sick leave, so they're compelled to show up even in situations where they may not be feeling well or where there may be infection in the workplace. And it's it's both had a an effect on their exposure and the risk of the infection, obviously, because infection rates are higher in lower income neighborhoods, they're higher among racialized and indigenous people. And and uh, the subsequent coming out of this penalty is they'll also find themselves economically further behind. And, of course, the other piece that this strongly highlights is the dramatic increase in cost of living, cost of rental, cost of housing. So if you already were precariously employed and living in rental accommodation, we've seen rental rates for two-bedroom apartments go up 25% this year, average Rent for a two-bedroom apartment in Hamilton is now over $2,000 a month. And if you're at the the lower end of the income spectrum, that is truly punitive and and creates all kinds of hardship. Well, and we saw part of the aftermath of that, of course, with the tent cities that we saw last summer. I don't know exactly what's going to be happening this year, but that's a topic that needs to be flagged, and especially the income aspect of it, Terry. I know that in in future uh, work and and reports you're going to have to address that in in greater detail because uh, the the government, the federal government's already announced the the drop-dead dates for these programs are not going to be available anymore. You may remember what eight months ago uh, there was some talk of maybe morphing CERB all the way into a guaranteed income program, but that seems to have uh, right. flitted away. Then I don't. I, I'd like to have somebody at least revive that debate in that conversation, but I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. But it's uh, it's going to make a bad situation worse for an awful lot of people, isn't it? It sure is. And and you mentioned uh, the the outbreak of conspicuous homelessness. And look at what we know is that homelessness has been a growing crisis in Hamilton for some time. Affordable housing is at crisis level uh, proportions in this community. And that, you know, if, if there is a saving grace, a silver lining here, let me point to the uh, the critical work, God's work, if you will, of, of the HamSmart group, the Hamilton Social Medicine Response Team, who work with folks who are homeless, who who are dealing with mental health and addictions issues. And one of the reasons that we have kept, in my opinion, a reasonable lid on outbreaks in those encampments is because of that critical on-the-ground work in getting people vaccinated and looking after some of the, the really critical public health issues that emerge when people are, are living in tents. We've discovered, as, as we've talked to different people that have been impacted by the virus and the, by the pandemic and the lockdowns over the last little while, uh, and, and, I, and I think it's mirrored in the Vital Signs report this year, Terry, that uh, the, the virus and the pandemic and the lockdowns maybe didn't create these problems, but they certainly exacerbated a number of them, as you say, uh, from a financial standpoint, from a health standpoint. Uh, areas of the city that were already identified as trouble spots through uh, not just your Vital Signs reports, but the, the Code Red uh, reports that were so well done so many years ago, uh, and and it, it, it really, I think, just underscores the problem that some of these inner-city neighborhoods, especially the challenged neighborhoods, are having, and the resources just weren't there for them to, to make the accommodation to be able to cope with this. Yeah, so so true. Um, and, and you mentioned Code Red. The, the one thing I would remind you of the extraordinary commitment of the SPEC is that 
they did a code red retrospective 10 years later yep. and on on balance the the numbers around health outcomes in low income neighborhoods had gotten incrementally worse um that uh, you know the 21 22 year life expectancy gap between rich and poor neighborhoods in fact was in in some ways heading in the wrong direction the only bright spots that we saw was where there were specific public policy interventions and the one that I often point to is is a significant drop in the rate of low birth weight babies, which is a critical determinant of later in life health outcomes for for both mother and child. And and what that suggests to me is where we pay attention, where we target our resources, and where we align good public policy. In fact, we can make a difference. Uh, but on balance, we're emerging from this pandemic with an existing income inequality gap and concentrated poverty challenge in Hamilton that will be worse and more difficult to climb out of. We ought to talk about uh, how this is impacting on neighborhoods, too, and there's, there's two uh, areas there that uh, that I know you've, you've talked about in the report. Uh, overall crime rates were down, uh, basically, I guess, because, you know, there, there was no, nowhere to go or most people were staying in their homes. But the troublesome aspect and the statistic here that jumped out of me, though, Terry, is uh, domestic violence uh, has increased significantly during the pandemic. Yeah, let me let me point out two pieces. The the so there's no question there has been a an epidemic around mental health issues, especially for young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, domestic violence, which we know when people, frankly, are in substandard accommodation, they're feeling all kinds of pressure, and uh, domestic problems t- tend to compound themselves. Clearly, there is an alarming escalation there that. Uh, local social supports and the police have to be mindful of, but the other piece on the uh, on the the crime front that I think we should highlight and that is troubling is is harassment, abuse, and hate crimes targeted at South Asian and Asian communities because of the some of the stereotyping and ill-founded finger pointing at at uh, people of Asian de- descent relative to the the pandemic. And I think that that is something that all of our voices need to call out and we need to have a forceful we're all in this together mindset that says there is no place for hate in this community and again something that we've talked about uh, i know you've also talked about some of the other groups uh, including the jewish community by the way that have been targeted uh, and 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 the black community of course and i know a number of people are working in the community with you and other organizations to try to do something about that Uh, another element of this too that it's probably just it fell off a lot of people's radar terry uh was was the substance abuse that has occurred we know about a lot more people are drinking alcohol than and consuming alcohol than they did but the opioid crisis that we have talked so much about uh is still there as a matter of fact the numbers are very very troubling i mean it, it's it's kind of out of sight out of mind but not for authorities and certainly not for the people that were working on this report for you uh it's it's a real problem it, it, it we had one of the highest rates of, in the province of course here in the hamilton area and it's not getting much better is it no it it is it's at crisis proportions uh people are dying uh on on a daily basis in this community of the opioid crisis and in some ways that is not being paid attention to in the way that it needs to because of the hyper focus on pandemic but the pandemic has compounded that that problem it it also i think suggests to me that our our commitments to harm reduction and safe injection sites that the evidence clearly demonstrates will save lives is a critical additional piece of work that we need to continue to build on. And uh, I, I know that 
as we speak, the folks at the YWCA, Denise Christofferson's team, are in fact about to launch a, a second safe injection site in this community targeted at vulnerable women, and we at the foundation will be uh, materially supporting that initiative because it, we think it saves lives and it's a critical critical intervention. But there, there, while there have been some supports in that area that we have created, we need to do a whole lot more if we're going to, in fact, get these opioid numbers uh, uh, to a, a level that, that we can manage and, and where we're not unnecessarily putting people's lives in jeopardy. I want to tap into maybe a, a little crystal balling here, Terry, and going forward on this, yep. because you, you sort of set the scene for it with some of the things you've talked about in the report here. Uh, we talk about, for instance, uh, you just mentioned at the beginning about you know employment in the arts, uh, museums and films, et cetera. Revenues are down for the city, which is somewhat problematic. Uh, we're not taking public transit as much as we used to, and, and that, of course, is, is a problem, twofold problem, obviously, because people are starting to find other ways, but it's also you know less revenue for the city. Uh, when you look at the challenges here, some of which, of course, have been magnified uh, by the, the pandemic itself. How do you see the recovery going here in this community? Because once we open the doors and step back outside and say, okay, let's try to get on with our lives, uh, we got a lot of problems to deal with here. We do. And, and you mentioned the arts. And I know for some people, uh, they look at that as a less critical, kind of nice-to-have priority. Um, but the reality is a majority of artists working in this community are living in poverty. Uh, we know there's been a 48% job loss in the, in the cultural sector. And the other thing we know, and at the foundation we're heavily involved with many arts groups, but I'll use our friends at the Westdale Theater as an example, because we happen to have a good chunk of the mortgage that we hold there. Uh, we have to ask ourselves, how soon will people be comfortable, even post-vaccination, in returning to large audience venues that are absolutely critical to sustainable performing arts in this community and all that it contributes? And my guess is that that is a much longer trajectory in terms of comfort and safety levels for large groups of people. Uh, but I think to your broader question, uh, anybody that thinks that the aftermath of this thing, especially the economic recovery, is going to be back to normal and firing on all cylinders in six months to a year is is probably severely underestimating the trajectory and the difficulty of the recovery. I think we're in for a, a long, difficult number of years before we get back to a, a situation in which uh, there is true sustainable prosperity. And I think the question that begs is, how do we want to build back better and differently than, than where we were when this thing started? Well, and, and I'm thinking also the, the other one, of course, is the hospitality industry and the restaurant industry, which oh. uh, grew exponentially, of course, over the last couple of years. Uh, organically, uh, some, you know, King William Street, James Street, Lock yeah. Street, of course, one of your favorite spots in the city. Uh, yeah. these, these guys have been on pause. They've been on hold now for about the last 17 months. And, and again, we have to wonder how quickly they're going to be able to recover and get back. And a lot of it, as you say, comes down to consumer confidence. Do we feel comfortable going back to those places? And that, that's going to take time. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I mean, I, I, I have a personal sense of, of uh, ownership and affinity to the restaurant business because my grandparents, I think you knew, ran a fish and chip store on yep. Lock Street for about 55 years and lived upstairs. And I, I know from firsthand experience how tough those businesses are, even in good times. But, you know, I, I, I think of our friend Jason Casis and the amazing job he's done with his group of restaurants, uh, both in the West End and downtown. And how much carnage there has been there for people who work in food services as wait staff, as cooks, as folks that are, are serving the public. And 
again, how long it's going to be before they're back to uh, where they were prior to this, which was firing on all cylinders and making an enormous contribution to the well-being of the community. And I, 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 I think to the extent we can, we have been able to continue to support those businesses, you know, in their takeout mode, safe patio mode. Uh, we need to redouble our commitments to small business throughout this community. If, if in fact we're all going to come out of this in a, in a better position than we went into it, and and that sector has been decimated. It's a snapshot in time, but it's a snapshot that we need to study and, and understand just exactly where our problems are. Uh, as always, Terry, uh, thank you so much for the great work that you and your staff are, have done for this report and putting this one together. Uh, there's a, a, an all-star team that work on this. I, I know you mentioned some of the big sponsors and some of the folks that have been supportive of this, but there's a, a lot of legwork that goes into this, and uh, it's, it's obviously very worthwhile. Yeah, Bill, we, we appreciate uh, the ability to amplify the message and engage with you and others. You've been a great supporter over many, many years of, of the fundamental underpinnings here. Uh, we do have a, an amazing team that work on this, both HCF staff and community partners. And my hope is that it will energize everybody in this community to analyze how they can make a difference and leave a positive legacy as we think about these difficult challenges, but also some great opportunities. Absolutely. Terry, as always, thanks for this. Uh, stay well, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Likewise. Good to be with you, Bill. Take care. Take care. Terry Cook, President and CEO of the Hamilton Community Foundation for the Vital Signs Report. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.